Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not replace your own financial, tax, legal, or financial product advice. Hello, Australia. Welcome to My Millennial Money. I'm Glenn James. If you listen to this podcast live, when it drops, the date is August the 31st, 2021. And I've got a special guest co-host that's joining me for this conversation. And I'm joined by... My name's Shelley Johnson. I co-host My Millennial Career, which is one of our other podcasts with Emily Bowen. But today... I am stoked to be crashing the My Millennial Money podcast and joining you, Glenn, as we talk about Equal Pay Day. This topic is something I'm really passionate about. Gender pay inequity affects everyone. And so we'll be talking with Mary Wooldridge, who is the director of the Workplace Gender Equality Agency, and really getting to understand the facts and the data, as well as what you can do to bring about change. Love it. All right, let's hear what we had to say in this interview. Well, Mary Wooldridge, Director of Workplace Gender Equality Agency, thanks so much for joining Shell and I on My Millennial Money. Great to be with you, Glenn and Shelley. Fantastic. Thanks for the invitation. No worries. So, if you are listening to this podcast live, it is Equal Pay Day. And what we might do for this episode is I'll get Mary to just to explain Equal Pay Day, um, what it is, how we can help uh, promote the payday or discuss it. And part of that might be sending somebody this episode. And then once Mary does that, before we get into some of these uh, questions, uh, the three of us might just share our own experience with this topic, just because it's there's stuff that's so new to so many different people. And I think it's important uh, when you're hearing this episode, everybody, that you just know the corners where we're all coming from. Uh, and we'll just have a discussion and we'll go from there. So, Mary, tell us about Equal Pay Day in Australia this year. So, we're here at Equal Pay Day and it marks the additional days from the end of the previous financial year that women on average have to work to earn the same as men earned last year. So, it's effectively nearly two months that women earn extra on average, and it is an average, um, above and beyond the 12 months that men work to earn the same dollars. Yeah, wow. It's um, on the Workplace Gender Equality Agency website. There's lots of data there. And I think, you know, these conversations can be nuanced and uh, divisive. So it's just important to actually know some of the data. So what are some of the key facts that you want to get across this year? I think the first thing to say is what it's not. Um, It's not about equal pay for people doing the same job. Uh, That's actually been illegal to pay people differently for the same job for decades in Australia. And so that's not what this is. Um, This is about the overall position of women economically in our community and in Australia compared to that of men in terms of, uh, of the working. 
And it comes off the back of uh, some statistics that have come out from the Australian Bureau of Statistics who show that uh, on average, women working full time earn about fifteen hundred and seventy five dollars a week, and men earn eighteen hundred and seventy three. So that difference of two hundred and sixty one dollars acknowledges the pay gap between men and women. Uh, then we calculate that basically about how much women earn less than men, and put that into a. a day and month context, which is why we're here at the 31st of August, uh, acknowledging that differential between men and women and their earnings. And so last year, Mary, it was the 28th of August, wasn't it? So we've actually seen the gap increase. Is that right? That's right. So we haven't had an increase in the gap um, since about 2014. Um, For a period of about seven or eight years before that, it went up year on year and it's been coming down ever since. So this is a 0.8% increase, which is why we've got some additional days. Now, Obviously, there's been a lot going on with COVID and lots of changes in in, uh, the working environment. Uh, So we'll see what happens over time. But it is a bit of a warning to say we can't take it for granted that we're going to narrow the gender pay gap. We've actually got to be vigilant and make sure we keep working on it to, to make sure it does narrow. Now, I might move and ask Shell, uh, and thanks, Shell, for jumping on. I didn't get the chance to formally say welcome. Can you start with maybe your uh, view and your first kind of impression of the gender pay gap in your life? Then I might share mine, and then I might ask Mary to share hers. Yeah, this issue is really close to my heart. I think I experienced... I guess equal pay as a, as an issue you mentioned before, Mary, that equal pay is actually unlawful in Australia. About 10 years ago in my first real job, I would say, my first, the start of my career, I encountered uh, just what this looks like in a workplace and it really changed my perspective. I was working and I, it was me and another male in the same role. So the exact same role. I'd been there about a year longer than he had. And we're working on this project together. And he asked me to come and look at something on his screen. And so I was helping him with this particular issue. And on his screen, he had two screens set up. And one of them showed his pay slip. And I and I automatically just went there and looked. And I was like, oh, I'm looking at something I shouldn't be looking at. Oh, my gosh. And then it dawned on me. I was like, oh, he's getting paid five grand more than me a year. And this is, you know, I'm uh, in my early 20s at this point, first real job. And I just, it just blew me away. I was like, oh, this is, what, what's happening here? And so I took that to my boss. It was a very, like, I remember driving home from work. I cried the whole drive home. I was like, what does this mean? Like, why am I getting paid less than this person who's been here less than me and doing the exact same role? Talked to my boss about it. And um, that's when I really started to understand this dynamic of the gender pay gap and also equal pay and what it means when, as a woman, you're not paid the same and how that, I guess, impacts your sense of value and contribution and how that's then shaped my, I guess, career, the way I negotiate now for pay. And I guess the way I see challenges with confidentiality around pay, that some of that Um, breeds. But I guess that was my journey and story very early on in my career and the exposure to the gender pay gap and equal pay. Wow, that's just fascinating. Uh, And Mary, it's probably stories like that that you've heard day in and day out. What was your first experience, Mary, uh, in this realm? 
And I might get you to actually explain maybe what you've been doing in your career before you uh, joined the agency. Um, I've had a range of different jobs and I worked in management consulting. I worked in a um, big corporate environment. Um, I worked in politics. Uh, I was actually an elected member of parliament for the last 13 years before I started at uh, WGEA, the Workplace Gender Equality Agency. Um, so I've seen lots of different contexts and often quite male environments. Um, but I had an experience not too dissimilar from from Shelley's experience, and and it is, and you know, like for like comparisons is illegal, but it it still exists, and often it's not overt, and some of those issues around transparency, and and we can talk about that a bit more later, um, uh, really go to some of the heart of this. But I had a similar experience where um, I was working in one environment, uh, a man came in, uh, he had less experience than I did, we were on the same team doing the same work, and I found out that he was earning significantly more than I was, um, and it was the nature of the negotiation, it was the nature of the environment and the culture that supported that very blokey uh, relationship and context um, and I was outraged I was furious about it um, and I think you were more courageous than I was because I didn't bring it up um, I didn't feel I could in that environment um, it might be different now but um, you know bringing it up having those conversations is is a really important thing to do but it's also can be tricky you know it's not not easy conversations and not all employers will will um, respond well to those conversations either Mm, yeah, it's just, it's fascinating. And I guess I'll uh, share kind of my thought process. And I just want to preface this to our listeners. You know, me personally, doing this podcast, is it's actually made me a better person and a more uh, rounded, informed person, because it's allowed me to talk about issues, to talk with people like we're releasing this on Tuesday, the 31st of August. In a couple of days time on Thursday, I've got a discussion with an immigrant that's families come from Afghanistan and I just wouldn't have had those conversations. So I just want to say first and foremost, just because it's not in your immediate world, it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. The circular thought for where I'm at was, it goes back around to this thing. It's like, no, we live in a society that needs to have children. We live in a society that needs to flourish. We live in a society that having children, taking time off is part of it. So it then leads to, well, the data says there is an actual gender pay gap, but how we got there is nuanced. And the experience that Shell had, for example, had nothing to do with a young lady in her 20s taking time off without leave. It was just blatant gender pay gap. So for me, I probably represent a lot of, or I won't say a lot, but maybe a heap of listeners that are trying to understand that because we haven't had this first person experience with the issue, we might think it doesn't exist. I don't know, that's all I'm saying on it. <laughs> No, no, but that's really important contribution, Glenn, because that's exactly what we need to to nut through and and work out. And it's not just women who experience issues around gender equality. Men experiences it, experience it too. Only a tiny proportion of people who take flexible leave are men. It's about 95% women, 5% men. Same for parental leave. Um, and there's, we know, many men who would like to have that choice, uh, feel that they do have a genuine choice in relation to their workplace, and also feel comfortable that that decision would be supported. So, 
issues of gender equality um, relate to everyone and it's in everyone's interest that we we deal with these inequalities, uh, talk about them properly and, and try and change them. I guess, Mary, what I'd like to know while we're talking about um, motherhood, for me, I've just had my second bub and I've just gone back to work after six months. And one of the experiences that I've had is it's not so much the leave part that impacts you. It's the career progression that you miss out on or you don't get or an employer may have an unconscious bias of if they're going to have another baby, I might not give them this promotion. Talk to us about that. How does having a baby or what is that motherhood penalty that I've seen referenced on the website? In terms of the gender gender pay gap, we've actually uh, done some work with uh, KPMG and the Diversity Council uh, to try and quantify the gender pay gap. And they say that um, from the analysis about um, just over a third of the difference in gender pay gap uh, is attributed to decisions around family, um, flexibility, uh, caring responsibilities. Um, so it's quite significant in terms of its contribution. The other things are um, industrial differences. So more women are in lower paid jobs like nursing and teaching then, uh, and more men are in construction and mining, which are, are higher paid jobs. And also there's a gender pay gap at every level, no matter what job you've got, whether it's a CEO all the way through to technicians and so on, there's gender pay gaps in favour of men in all the roles as well. But in terms of the, the deciding to have a family, um, that is a significant contributor towards the gender pay gap. Um, And there are lots of ways some enlightened companies are trying to address it. They're addressing it by having, not saying there's a primary carer and a secondary carer, but actually saying it's parental leave and men and women can equally take it, that we'll pay it at a significant level. So, for example, KPMG recently came out and said they were going to pay 26 weeks with superannuation on top. Um, So that's all counted. Companies have keep in touch programs. So while you're away on maternity leave, they stay connected. um, And the person, so that decision to come back to work after you've finished your your uh, parental leave um, is an easier one to make because we know lots of women don't make that choice and actually choose to stay out of the workforce for a range of reasons. But in some instances, part of that is the company's not, uh, hasn't created the environment to have a smooth pathway back. And then, of course, it's childcare and support to be able to to work while you're juggling um, a young child and so on. So there's lots of things that companies can do, but it is a big contributor to the difference. Mary, do you think um, as horrendous as the COVID outbreak and uh, pandemic has been, it may have actually shaken up workplace culture and flexibility for good long-term? Uh, it's absolutely. It's going to be a, a, a game changer, I think, um, because so many more people are working flexibly. Um, it's become acknowledged, you know, I think a lot of fear about flexible working has now gone because people are productive, they can do it well, uh, has changed. So before it was only about 5% of workers worked flexibly. Um, now the average is about 40% in this COVID time. And of course, when we're in lockdown, it's <laughs> it's very high as well. And in some industries, it's gone up to 60 or 70%. So that idea of 
everyone from the CEO down is working from home, demonstrating it can be done effectively, um, and then working out how we normalise that going forward when when there is the opportunity to be back in the office um, is really the important challenge. But um, I love my commute. It's from the kettle to my office, to my chair in the, in the room uh, next door, um, you know, it's, you know, suddenly you've got two more hours in your day and the capacity to do your caring responsibilities and all your other responsibilities as well as your job um, changes fundamentally. I'm not sure if that's been your experience, Shelley, but, um, uh, you know, trying to juggle it all and do it from home with a young family. Oh, it's wild. I'm I'm finding um, I love the flexibility of it. Lockdown, though, has obviously changed a few things for us, but certainly seeing one of the things I'd love to see more of is I think for for males, there is that barrier to taking, to doing some of that, um, taking that time off when they've had a new baby. And so seeing that happen more after COVID, I think is going to really have such a huge benefit socially and also to our workplaces. Absolutely. I was going to actually um, talk about, you know, the things moving forward in the workplace, which I think will have a net positive outcome. Like for my team now, we all work remote. The roles, it's now so much more outcome-based than bums on seats for hours in the day. And I just think that flexibility with outcome-based will actually allow all people to still generate an income from home on their terms. But it's got to come back to the employers getting a freaking grip and knowing that you don't get 110% productivity out of any person, like just lower expectations. Well, I think... um I think it's actually been shown that productivity still is um, very high working from home. And and I think that people were very concerned that it wouldn't be, but we've shown it can be. And the workforce has been phenomenal on that front. So it's also, though, demonstrating at senior levels. It's the CEO, it's the senior executive Mm. saying, I'm working from home two days a week or, um, hey, I'm you know, finishing up at three o'clock because I've got to pick up a child from childcare. Um, one CEO I know calls uh, calls it leaving loudly. They actually, you know, demonstrate that this is acceptable, that it's appropriate in the workplace, and they know that it it works. You know, it works through in terms of people getting the job done, in terms of the outcomes they need to deliver. And that's what we need. We need role models right throughout organisations um, that it that it can work, it does work, um, and that it's beneficial for everyone when it does. So Mary, digging into that leadership dynamic, uh, working in HR, I've seen obviously uh, remuneration structures, pay frameworks, and also that component, even doing the gender reporting that's been required, you see the difference in leadership pay, I guess. And so can you talk to us about that? Why, what is some of those barriers with women having maybe those roles in senior leadership? And what does it mean as well coming in and negotiating pay? And yeah, so just chat to us about that. So there is a, still a big differential um, at senior executive levels in the gender pay gap. And also I think the analysis we've done is on current rates of improvements can take 80 years before we have an equivalent number of women and men leading ASX 200 companies in Australia. You know, we're a long way at the very senior levels. And part of that is actually the pipeline of women coming through as well. You know, at, at all levels, um, we need to grow the proportion of women in the workforce, especially up through those managerial um, levels in particular. So, 
I think it's it's companies that realise um, and are thoughtful about this. Sometimes, you know, someone will say to me, oh, it's great, we've got a senior management team of eight and there's four women and four men, it's all sorted. But actually, if you calculate a gender pay gap, often it's the women are new to that senior management, they're the lowest paid and the men are all higher paid with bigger bonuses and you still have quite a significant gender pay gap. So um, it is about companies uh, working on their pipeline, making sure they're, they're promoting women all the way through. Often it's uh, people who have been in line roles um, that get promoted up to the most senior roles, you know, the the um, supporting roles like uh, legal affairs, HR, um, perhaps make the executive team, but but not as much that transition into CEO. So, um, and in those line roles, um, we've got the biggest, you know, once again, it's mostly and predominantly men, especially in, in uh, heavier industries. So, there's a huge amount of work to be done, but it is about every company understanding their particular issues and then having coming up with a plan about how they address it. Can I just give you one great little example that I've, I've loved um, about companies thinking thoughtfully about it? A, a manufacturing company who kept recruiting to their manufacturing facility all men. They only ever had applications from men. And so they decided that they wanted to change this. They wanted to get women onto the onto the factory floor. Uh, so what they did is they had a look at their job ads and they realised that their job ad required a forklift driver's licence uh, in order to apply for the job. And not many women sort of have that as a matter of course and they took that out and the next year with their applicants they had 40% women applying for the job wow. uh, and 60% women because they knew they could train them on the job for that, for that particular role. And I love that example as a, you know, a really simple way companies can say, okay, we want to address this issue, what are the barriers and how do we, how do we address them? And even identifying, one of the things I think is challenging is what are the subtle barriers? And I think that's what the, the agency is helping us work out is there's all these subtle barriers that if you dig into it and you look closely at a job ad, you know, if you've been in that business for ages, you don't think twice about, oh, everyone needs a forklift license. But I think, Mary, what you're getting at there is some of this stuff is so, it, it, it's subversive and we don't even realise the impact it's having. Are you seeing other subtleties in why this pay gap exists? Oh, there's lots of subtleties and that's the challenge. There's no silver bullet, there's no easy fix on this um, and companies who are working on it actually, you know, it's a, it's a, it's an extended and ongoing process, but one that's definitely worthwhile and, and they see the difference. Um, so there's lots of lots of examples of that. And and it is from, from job ads. I mean, another great example that I like is um, there's been research done that shows if you advertise a job as can be done part-time or can be done flexibly, you get significantly, you know, 15 to 20% more female applicants just by what you've written in the job. Um, and the other thing is, is if you say, and that you shouldn't define for people what you expect. Um, so you shouldn't just say, you must work three days a week, Monday, Wednesday and Friday in the office. If you don't define it, you get the same outcome, but you get many more women putting themselves forward for those roles because women feel they, and, and I think everyone, but particularly women putting their hand up, feel they want to have some choice and say in it rather than being told what flexibility means for them. So there's some of the, the subtle things that you can actually just change a little bit and it fundamentally changes and opens up for women um, roles and opportunities. 
Hey, Mary, I think like, because I can only control what I can control and, you know, in my circular thought processes, I get bogged down and I think, well, if, you know, we're a functioning society, we're an advanced economy and all this, is there a discussion for a UBI and all this stuff? And that can be for another day. But for me, as an employer, and I want to speak to all the employers of people that are listening right now, have you got the mindset that we're all just people trying to live our life, provide for our families and just be chill and okay? Like for my own business, and I'm just saying this as an encouragement to the other employers listening, all of my team are employed on a uh, on the award, uh, because we're podcasting and all that, it's a weird miscellaneous award, but I always pay above the award and I always have. So number one, I value people and I don't want to do the bare minimum. Number two, you know, our, one of our producers, Jess Knaus, her little boy Ruben's part of our team. Like he comes to all the weekly meetings and it's that element of give and take. And, you know, Jess is, she understands she's got a toddler And you know what? Funny thing that she just puts her microphone on mute while we're in a meeting and it's all good. We don't have to hear the wiggle. So I think there is this element of like everyone just bloody chill out, treat people like they're people. So I've just resolved in my life, there will never be a gender pay gap in the teams that I run, in the people that I employ. And I just want to encourage everybody else and particularly, and I'm ranting now because some of you need to hear this crap, like my last business, one of the young guys that I employed, his wife had a baby. I just said to him, have another two weeks off paid. Like go be with your newborn, like put people before profit and everything will be okay. Glenn, you definitely want to value people. One of the things I've seen, and I guess it comes from sometimes bigger business, is you're in an organisation where maybe systemic problems and structures exist that mean that that doesn't happen. And so, Mary, this is my question for you because let's say um, we're not working in an organisation like Glenn's where he's valuing people and really being intentional in that. What do you do when you're in an organisation and maybe there's kind of unconscious bias or or if I'm an employee, what can I do? Because a lot of what we're saying and what the agency does is pitched at the organisational leadership what do I do if I'm just an employee and I'm encountering this in my workplace? So it's a really good question. And actually this equal pay day, we're asking everyone, uh, what's my pay gap? Uh, so, you know, it's a it's an employer issue, but starting the conversation for employees is really important as well. Talking to your colleagues, understanding what the issues are. People can even jump on our website, uh, wgea.gov.au and have a look at the data that your company submits to us. Um, have they done a gender pay gap analysis? Um, what did what action did they take as a result of doing that analysis? So if, if you really want to understand, you can actually see the information that's been provided to us by your company if, you, if you're in a company with more than 100 employees. It is you know, as I said before, I thought it was very courageous of you to go and talk to your employer. It can be challenging. And I think I think starting with your own manager or maybe with HR is probably where those conversations um, can and should happen. And I think people need to be careful, but uh, mm. motivated on that, then it then it's important to have those conversations and, and see what the response is. Why haven't we done a gender pay gap analysis? Could we do it? Um, what else are we doing about 
parental leave or whatever it might be. And to be honest, I also think there's an element here where I want people to start voting with their feet. But if your company's not doing it and they're not responsive or you feel like you're not being treated equally, then if you can, and I know sometimes it's hard to find jobs and those sorts of things, but choose companies that do. Ask those questions when you're being interviewed. That's a great time to to get a sense of whether companies are a fair income about gender equality and and what they do. So um, I think there's some ideas. There's Once again, it's not easy, but there is information out there. And I think the more people start to say, this is important to me in making a decision about where I work, the more companies will listen and say, we need to take this seriously if we want to get good people working for us. I love that voting with your feet. So yes, you can leave. If you're in an organisation and and the culture sucks and there is a huge pay gap and, and that's widely known, well, you know, the, the employees of choice on the website is so helpful to see amazing employees like KPMG who are doing these epic parental leave schemes and all this stuff. What I, I guess I'm interested in is when we are having conversations at work, how much does confidentiality impact it? Because for me, I stumbled upon that issue by pure chance and it was very awkward when I went and talked to my boss but she was actually really good about it and I said I I know I shouldn't have seen it I did see it now I feel terrible and awful and horrible like how do we deal with this when it's so tight-lipped and confidential well this is an area you know that's that's just starting to emerge uh, and there's evidence overseas that transparency um, decreases the gender pay gap um, not not surprisingly when you know that information and it doesn't have to be every job it could be bans so for example um, some companies say, Here's, here's a job ad and the salary range is between X and Y. Um, what that When they do that, it actually gives uh, an equal basis for men and women to negotiate within a band rather than when it's open-ended. The evidence shows that men often end up with a, with a higher amount than women do. So there's, there's ways to address some of, some of those issues. But I do think transparency is important. Not many companies do it yet. Um, and even for our own data, um, we publish all the workforce data, but we don't publish the, the pay data and make that transparent. That goes back to the company, but not not transparently to to everyone. So I think that's an emerging issue about um, another opportunity of how we can address the gender pay gap that's still to come. So Mary, we talk about transparency and um, the current threshold for uh, mandated reporting uh, is over 100 employees. How do we do it you know, because I've, I've got a passion for small business and whatnot. And, you know, if you compare my earnings being the business owner and all that compared to a female in the organisation who does a different job, there's a straight up gender pay gap. Uh, if you compare me to one of my female team members, like that's just a fact. How do we negotiate this in small business? And of course, anytime with statistics, with smaller numbers, it, it does get skewed more. We're actually hoping to do more for voluntary reporting because employers over 100 um, with over 100 employees have to report to us. But we want to open up for smaller companies to be able to do our analysis and do our data and get the benefit of, of knowing the information. So I think you have to be realistic. If you're only employing three or four people and you're a business owner, um, then you know there's, there's going to be a gender pay gap and maybe you look at it excluding 
you as owner um, for the rest of the workforce. You've you've got to be sensible on all of this. The other thing that's really interesting, though, is, of course, when we talk about the gender pay gap at 14.2%, that's only base salary. It doesn't actually take into account overtime or total bonuses. bonuses. So when you add those numbers in, the numbers go up dramatically. Oh, I didn't know that. So this is only only base salary, and, and this is something we'll be talking more about because this is the bottom number. In fact, if you if you look at um, once again the ABS's data on taking part time and taking full compensation into account, the gender pay gap's over thirty percent. I was going to say, like big companies, you can just bury that crap if it's just the base. Like, let's be real. And we know that a lot of more senior people earn bonuses, and we know a lot more senior people are men. So, so it it uh, accentuates uh, the differences, and we need to be talking about full remuneration not just base salary. Mary, that blows my mind. <laughs> I didn't know that. Do you know, I've, I report on this stuff. I should know. I, I'm sorry. I'm just, if you could see my face, I'm just baffled. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I don't, th- like the bonus side of it to me is so important. How how much will that be on the agenda for this going forward? I think it's really important. And look, there's we calculate um, a gender pay gap from our own data. So um, the reporting companies come to us and for us, our gender pay gap is just over 15%. And when you take everything into account, it's over 20%. Um, mm. So there's lots of different statistics on this. I, I think the message is um, when we talk about 14%, when we talk about it, you know, August 31 is equal pay day, that's the minimum. The fact okay. is it's, it's a lot more than that. But it is even just that symbolism of having to work two months more um, than men to get an equal compensation uh, is the starting point for, for what is something, a bigger issue. There's a country, I think it's Sweden, actually don't have this issue at all. How are other countries actually removing this as an issue? So, and I'm still, uh, I've been in the role a couple of months and I'm still learning about what's happening overseas. So don't have the depth, as deeper knowledge there, but they are tackling it in all different ways. In fact, Australia though, in our reporting, the fact that companies have to report to us is one of the best countries in the world from that side of things. And that in itself adds transparency. Other companies actually, for the UK, for example, make companies calculate and publish a gender pay gap. And that's something that's been happening in the last couple of years, although they've stopped that for COVID. So, you know, some of these things have got diverted a bit and um, and reprioritised. But different company, countries have different parental leave policies, child care policies, and and I suppose overall commitments uh, and cultures in relation to uh, the issues of gender. I, I saw an article, uh, it was a company, I think out of Silicon Valley in the States and this founder, he employed all these people and his thing was, we just pay everybody the same amount. While I think it's a noble cause and, you know, I, in my mind, I was like, oh, that'd be really cool to do. But stuff like that, like it would start to obviously affect culture because you need to reward people who perform well. Like you can't, you know, the old proverb, muzzle an ox and all that stuff. Like, how, how do we get practical? I, and I think reporting bonuses, that needs to just happen straight up. But are there any other tools that you've seen, just in your own experience, how we can incentivise everybody but keep it fair? Um, it, it's, I agree. We've got to 
reward people um, who are, are doing a great job and, and it's a motivator for people and so it should be. The thing is, getting back to Shelley's earlier point, is removing the biases that make sure that that's consistently men rather than uh, a combination of, of men and women. And we do know there's biases in there in terms of uh, how people are evaluated, um, what they're uh, how, how people are promoted and how people are paid. So it's about removing the biases and then making sure people have the opportunity to step up to, to do their best work. So Mary, knowing that we work in an organisation and environment that has unconscious bias, so let's say I'm in my organisation, I want to ask for a pay rise, but I know that the, there's bias that exists that maybe um, affects how my ask is received. What is your advice for an employee who wants to get a pay rise or they want to negotiate at the beginning of employment? What what kind of advice would you give them as they're navigating this? There might be a few things they could do. One example might be uh, in advance of that conversation, going to the manager and say, can you give me an idea last year of what the range of percentage increases were? So suddenly it's a bit more defined, you know, oh, someone got 20%. Okay, well, that's within the range of what I could ask for. And you're not asking for any individual's pay rise, but, but you know, put some boundaries in it, uh, you know, get get some context um, in, in terms of it. Um, so I would say try and get more information, go in more prepared and try and, and use that maybe as a technique to, to help. Is it as simple as asking, as a woman, is it simple as asking for more and asking more often or is it more complicated than that? I think it is more complicated. And look, the evidence from Australia um, doesn't show a gender differential on negotiation, although I think we've got lots of cases, uh, individual examples where that's happened. There is some, exa- uh, some evidence from the US that says women um, don't negotiate at the same rate as men. So it's it's a little bit unproven yet in terms of where it, where it goes. Um, but I think you have to ask. I think it has to be done in a constructive way. Um, it has to be um, reflective of the culture of the environment. But, um, you know, I've always, always been one to sort of say, um, you know, you never know if you don't ask and, uh, you know, and try and push for that opportunity and reflect um, the value of the work that you're doing, the contribution you're making and how that's contributing to the organisation and that should be acknowledged. Hey, Mary, have you got 10 more minutes to hang around and we'll answer some listener questions? Sure. All right, we'll be right back after this break. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com, click get help, and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers, and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. Okay, so we are back and this uh, was and is a very divisive topic because we've all got our own biases, we've all got our own experiences, we've all got our own views of the world. And like anything that's related to uh, social topics, there's always scandal in the chatter. <laughs> anything related to relation to money, there's always you know scandals and chatter. And we've actually turned the comments off in the Facebook group about this. But I, I just want to read some of the other comments that some people wrote in the group. Shell, are you, you going to read? Because like there's some really like juicy comments. Are yeah, you going to read? I, okay, cool. I, yeah, I, because, and this is it. Like, I'm going to read these comments and it might cause rage bait for a lot of people. But the reason I'm reading them is 
Some of us aren't at the same point in understanding the topics as others. Some people like anything, that will be their view. It's like, if you're a bloody anti-vaxxer, we're not changing your view. Like, you've made up your mind, but others might be like, well, let's actually investigate and seek first to understand and I'll form a view. So, all that to say, the first one, and they're in no real particular order. I might read two of them and just get some short comments uh, from Mary. Justin Tyler says, uh, do they track the years in the workforce against salary, as in uh, workers who don't have breaks as opposed to workers who do? So, when you're collating the data, Mary, uh, does that stuff get tracked? Well, because it's an aggregate, um, it's reflective of uh, the workforce composition. And so it captures issues like um, that women are perhaps at lower levels because they've taken a, a career break to have families or for, to care or for other things. So these are macro numbers. Uh, average weekly earnings is every employee across the country by the ABS. So um it's reflected in there as one of the many variables that influences the outcome. Sure. Uh, Aaron Stubbs uh, says, uh, watch a few Jordan Peterson interviews on the topic before the podcast. Uh, in some situations, there is a bias for sure, but in the vast majority of cases, the gaps are because of the time in the industry, the industry itself, and the big one, men are more likely to push for their perceived self-worth than women who are more likely to accept what they are given in terms of pay. So I think that speaks to, and I've heard the the comments that, you know, men have this more testosterone fight, drive, whatever, and that comes into play. And if that is the case, well, that's sure, we're just going to fix it, right? Like, <laughs> what, are you, what are your thoughts? Mary? So a couple of things there. Firstly, um, as I mentioned earlier in the in the podcast, um, issues about taking time off for, for family and caring contributes about 40% of the gender pay gap, but the rest is um, discrimination and bias. Um, mm. And part of it, about 17% is the industrial structure and the, the jobs that, that women take. So it's a contributor, but but not all contributor. And uh, I've forgotten what the second part of the question is now. <laughs> oh, I think I talked about men having oh, more men of a driving, driving force because of yeah. testosterone and, that, and all that stuff. That's sort of, you know, the evidence doesn't show in Australia that that, that actually is a driver of it. Um, and, you know, it may come across or people may see and there are definitely some individual cases, but on the whole, there are different contributors to the difference than that. Shell, do you want to read a uh, a comment that you've seen there? Oh, it, yeah. It, I won't it, use the name though because I liked this one. Okay, go on. Oh, okay. So the wage gap is a myth. Multivariant analysis proves this. A lot of it boils down to fathers out earn mothers, women who left their career and choose careers that earn less than careers that men choose. Men are more disagreeable than women on average and this makes them more likely to argue for higher pay. Stop trying to perpetuate this BS and it's illegal to pay women less than men for the same job and so on and so forth it goes on. Yeah, and, and this person cites um, that there was a Dr Warren Farrell disproved it years ago uh, and he listed 25 reasons why men earn more. So, you know, I don't... Just after hearing you, uh, Mary, like, I don't know if we are perpetuating BS. We're just looking at the data. 
It's it's the facts, and there are you know there, there's twenty five. There's probably more than twenty five reasons why men earn more than women, and they're exactly the issues we're trying to address. Um, they're actually the issues we're trying to change so that we reduce gender inequality and um, and reduce the gender pay gap. So what we want is that men and women are valued equally in the workplace, um, not unequally as as we're seeing currently. I, and I want to just kind of. Um just uh, Sophie Littlecoat says, please talk about how female-dominated industries uh, and jobs attract lower wages. It's not about the same job, lower pay, because you touched on that before. And some of this is systemic uh, stuff that the government needs to really look at even basic awards and say, freaking pay early childhood teachers more money. Like, any comments on that one? Yeah, and and. Definitely um, many of the female-dominant industries are also lower-paid industries. The thing that's interesting in them, though, is even for health and social services, where it is predominantly women, um, there's still a gender pay gap because at the senior levels there is uh, there are more men than women. So even where there's a strong proportion of women coming all the way up through, it's still men who are filling those senior roles and earning more money where it is to be earned within the sector. So um, we've got to work across the board, um, but definitely we we tend to value the role of women in those female-dominated industries less than men in other industries. Can, and can I just ask on that? So this is sometimes where if you're having a discussion with people about the gender pay gap, they'll use the example of sport. So they'll say, well, sport... Certain sports, obviously, like professional athletes attract a certain level of membership and therefore there's more money to be made. And the same goes for like construction. Construction attracts more money and therefore in a male-dominated industry, we're going to pay higher and that makes sense. And so I guess I'm interested to know your thoughts on on that, I guess, logic and, and argument and what is your perspective? Well, I think um, construction's a good example. In fact, construction's a significant contributor for why the gender pay gap has gone up this year um, compared to last year because a lot of money has been going into construction, wages have gone up and 88% of employees in construction are men. Um, So they're reaping the benefits of it. So I think we do need to, when we think about our recovery post-COVID, we need to not only invest in roads and bridges but also invest in our healthcare workers and our education system and others. So more money will go in, it'll attract more people and and um, that may be a contributor to increase in, in wages as well. But I did see somewhere, for example, the other day, Ash Barty won, you know, a, a competition overseas and got 40% of the, the, the income as a result of winning that, that her male counterpart did. You know, there's some big disparities in sport um, and that doesn't, uh, you know, they're, they're still doing the training, they're doing the work, they're winning on the world stages, but they're not being valued equally. And I think, mm. you know, there's some good examples of, um, of how that can not be fair. There's another comment here uh, that says, you know, if the gender pay gap really exists and if it was possible to get away with it, why would any business hire men at all? Just hire all the women and pay them less. Wages are one of the biggest overheads. Now, I think, you know, if we'll just take that fact and just unpack it a little bit. If I was only hiring women because uh, I could get away and pay them less, well, I would just pay minimum wage and that's all good. But I would say if you were just hiring all women or if you were just hiring all men, within that there would still be, there would be cases where 
like Shell, someone doing the same thing would get paid less because businesses will try and pay less to some people, but the work that the agency is doing with mandatory reporting, all that, will actually rise the tide for everybody. Is that a fair statement, Mary? Yeah, I, th- I think it is important. And look, we we can't also say that, you know, all women are the same. There's obviously uh, differences within genders. Uh, so women from a uh, culturally and linguistically diverse background, um, uh, women with disabilities, um, women, you know, with diverse sexual preferences, you know, there, there are differences and countries and we don't collect that data and I think we need to work out how we can collect more of it. Um, but overseas, um, there's very clear evidence from the US, for example, that, you know, black women and Latino women get, uh, there's a big gender, gender pay gap for them to white women uh, and, and the differences within it. So um, to your point, there's, you know, not everyone's the same and there is uh, discrepancies there. But I think what you, you're person making the comment is trying to say what we're saying about equal pay, which is unlawful, um, and saying that's the same as the gender pay gap, which it's not. The gender pay gap is is about a broader picture about how women and men are valued in society and how they're economically compensated for the work they do. Mary, in wrapping up, I'll get Shell to ask one last question. And then you think about that, Shell. I'm going to ask one last question to you, Mary. Do you think there is anything important that we didn't ask you about everything that we've talked about, about, you know, you've seen some of the Facebook group comments that we sent you prior. Is there anything that we didn't ask or we didn't say that you think is important? No, I think I think it's been a very comprehensive discussion and, and thank you so much. But I think the, the takeaway point is back to the thing you said, Glenn, which is just understand this, just understand what it means, um, understand the difference between equal pay and the gender pay gap, what we're trying to talk about, um, and then ask the questions about why. What What is it that's contributing to the difference of that? And if we all want, and I think we actually do, that women and men are equally valued and rewarded in the workplace, um, what is it we have to do to, to make sure that happens? Thanks. And I was just thinking, like, to be funny, because I'll give it to Shell. Like, if, because some of this stuff, like, there is just anecdotally from what I've read, what I've heard, more times than not, it's males that say the gender pay gap doesn't exist. And I've heard women say that, that's fine. But if you're a male and you say the gender pay gap doesn't exist, well, who cares? You're getting paid more. Shut up. Like, <laughs> like let's see, like, don't get rage made over it. Like, you're getting paid more. Like, I have had it. so many conversations <laughs> with males about this of, oh, it's not a real thing. I'm like, like I am this. It, it is a bit of rage bait for me, Glenn. So I will tell you that. Yeah, yeah. My my last question for you, Mary, would be: you're you're two months into the role of director at Workplace Gender Equality Agency. What do you hope to see? Like, what's your vision in this space? And this is exactly the thinking I'm doing now, Shelley, in terms of um, where to from here. And there's not, you know, easy things that haven't been done that we should be doing that's going to change the world. But we do have to speed up the rate of change. At, at the current rate, it's going to take 26 years to get rid of the gender pay gap. And that's too long. You know, we, we should be an equal society and um, we can get there. So so my challenge is, is how do we speed up the rate of change and shift that dial to, to um, make things more equal? Um, and there's lots of things, you know, we're, we're going to be doing to, to achieve that. But 
but that's the objective. We have to get there more quickly and people understanding and asking the questions is the first step in that. And 26 years to close the gap and 80 years, you mentioned, for women in leadership. For CEOs. That's for CEOs, CEOs. yeah. So it's a couple of decades for for women in executive positions. Okay. And it's 80 years for for CEOs. The train has left the station. Just yesterday, I saw an announcement from the Australian Institute of Company Directors, AICD, that there are now no all-male boards uh, in the top ASX 200 companies. So we just have to speed it up. We do, but uh, and that's that's a great announcement. But still, um, uh, you know, and that's the ASX 200. There's a lot of we have 13,000 companies reporting to to us, and 30% of them have no female directors. So wow. so uh, big ones are really important, um, and it's a great signal. But there's still a long way to go. And I'll, I'd like to finish just a um, f- uh, question for you, Mary, and for you to ponder. Uh, if uh, your agency ever needs any uh, paid speaker or expert to talk about this stuff on your behalf, I know someone called Shelley Johnson and uh, <laughs> she would make a great ambassador for your organisation. I love this stuff. This is one of my all-time <laughs> favourite conversations. I just like, I just love pitching Shelley out because I think she's great and, and, and passion, I really value her. passion's so. phenomenal as well. Like, yeah. Oh. Great. Oh, but Mary, we're so excited to see what you're going to be doing um, coming into the role and that vision to close that gap as fast as we can. We are behind you on that one. Wonderful. It's been great to chat and really appreciate the really thoughtful questions and uh, important discussion. And I hope um, hope your listeners uh, uh, have enjoyed it too. Love it. Thanks so much, Mary. Thank you. Cheers. We acknowledge the dark and young people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits and pay respect to their elders past and present. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. My Millennial Money supports A21, a charity focused on abolishing slavery and human trafficking all over the world. Check out a21.org.au for more info. If you would like some other giving options or if you're unsure about which charity you can support, head to thelifeyoucansave.org.au. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive, Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, is an authorized representative of Money Sherpa, Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 